podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Bernard Hopkins said that this fight would be his defining moment. So far, he's had pockets of brilliance and seems to be getting Trinidad for the most part to fight his fight. But there have been moments here in round four when Tito seemed to be turning the tide. Hello Boxing Asylum listeners and welcome to Punches from the Past, where we delve into the historical archives and talk about the fights that mattered. I'm Steve Wellings and for Season 2, Episode 2, I'm joined on the call by Andy Patterson, Dave Loback and Gabriel Lewis. Last week we went back in time to the 1930s and two epic heavyweight clashes between Joe Lewis and Max Schmeling. This week we fast forward to 2001 and the excellent middleweight showdown between Felix Tito Trinidad and Bernard the Executioner Hopkins. While Lewis Schmeling took place in the midst of the Second World War, this fight also had an intense political backdrop. The original date, Andy, was changed and it got pushed back to the 29th of September after the not-so-small matter of 9-11 disrupted the best laid plans. Take it away. Tell us a bit, a bit about the background just leading up to this fight, please. Uh, fight was meant to take place in the uh, Madison Square Garden on the 15th of September. Um, I don't think... But anybody who ever listens to this, or even the guys in the panel, would actually even forget where they were that day. Um, I was actually in a training course in drug awareness. Uh, this guy walked in, you know, the guy who was actually taking the course walked in and says, They've bombed America. I was like, What? I said, Ah, bombers went off in New York. I was like, This guy turned to me and says, Hopkins Trinidad's fighting in New York, isn't he? I says, Aye. I says, What's going to happen there? But I had no idea, eh? Um, it wasn't until obviously we got home at night and I sat for like three hours and just watched Sky News for like just on repeat, just watching what was going down. It was absolutely horrendous. Um, you know, the after effects of what happened that day still still being seen today, you know, you, you know, you see what's going on in Europe, that type of thing with Syria and all the refugees and that. But um it was a shame well obviously naturally it's a shame. Um, you know, just 
trying to get somehow get us back onto kind of like boxing talk and that. I mean that this fight was billed as like you know the first lineal middleweight champion since Marvin Hagler fought Ray Leonard, which might be slightly up for dispute. I'm not too sure though, but you know this this fight was obviously it was part of a a tournament created by Don King. Um, you know the the drawhead Tito Trinidad against William Joppe absolutely vaporised Joppe actually an absolute five round beatdown, um, almost even knocked Joppe out underneath the the bottom rope. Um, Hopkins, I, I wouldn't say the tricky uh, route to the finals as such. I mean, he, he won clearly on the cards. I just I just think Keith Holmes was was slightly negative in that fight. Kind of came to survive. Um, and Hopkins just 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 dominant. So in the end, we had the WBC, WBA, and IBF and vacant ring magazine titles on the line for this one. Um, just going off my own like research and stuff, I actually maybe thought that maybe James Tony was the, the last lineal champion um, after Hagler. But again, this is that that came up for dispute. But um, there was the WBO title obviously kind of um, mooching around at that time. I think the felt that. At that time, the WBO actually had the interim title. She had the WBO full champion, which was uh, Armand uh, Krajnic, which he was a Slovenian-born uh, lad living in Sweden. And then you had the, the small case of Harry Simon, who was from uh, Namibia. He served three years in prison, I think it was, for a, for a hit and run, where he killed two tourists. He was interim champion. Uh, so, so in the end, it all culminated in you know the final between Hopkins and Trinidad. You know, the big villain for Trinidad was was huge, you know, he you know, he was a betting favourite from all over Hopkins, thirty six year old, thirty nine, two and one, twenty nine, twenty eight knockouts. He wasn't really give much a chance, you know, you, you got to be honest, you know, even you know, that IBF title, fourteen defences, uh Trinidad coming in there, forty and oh, thirty three knockouts. He was hot commodity man. He was, you know, considered pound for pound. You know, if you look at the rankings going back to late two thousand um, I think Trinidad would be number two pound for pound. Hopkins was number ten. But I felt having two titles and Trinidad having one, and I understand the popularity he had. Trinidad was moving up in this tournament that we had completed. He knocked out William Joppy. I knocked out Keith, well, I beat Keith Holmes. He had the bigger name. He had the bigger following. He's a Puerto Rican fighter, and he was a Don King's fighter. Don King's breadwinner, home runner. But I'm the guy to beat for my two titles and my eight or nine defenses. A month a guy that's coming up from welterweight, I believe, a junior middleweight. And so I felt like, why would I or why should I play second to a guy because of who he is? So uh, it was all there. I mean, he was, he was you know, Trinidad was obviously popular. He was friendly, massive, massively popular, tall, boxer puncher, lethal left hook. Whereas Hopkins, he kind of, you know, he came up the the hard way, done five years in jail, lost his pro debut, and then hooked up with Bowie Fisher, and they spent the next fifteen months training in the gym before he took his second pro fight. Yeah, this is the thing, Dave. Andy mentioned the little tournament that was going on. And if you look at the respective fighters, the names on their records in the lead up to this, you could be forgiven for thinking that Trinidad was going to be a shoo-in, even though Hopkins was the wily sort of veteran even back then, which seems ridiculous. You know, he was 36 and he was perceived as getting getting on a bit. He was this dirty fighter. He was a bit of a spoiler. He had decent wins on his records. Guys like uh, Robert Allen, Antoine Eccles. He looked okay against Keith Holmes, but not spectacular. But if you put a parallel that with 
Mr. Trinidad, of course, he'd beaten Oscar De La Hoya down at welterweight. He'd moved up seamlessly to light middleweight and his power was too much for Fernando Vargas in their excellent unification match. And then he'd come up to middleweight and the way he'd blown away William Joppy, Dave, I think really got a lot of people excited. Joppy was a very good hard fighter who later went 12 rounds with Hopkins himself. But Trinidad just blew through him. So really the Puerto Rican was the favourite. He was the puncher. People were expecting him to, to beat Hopkins in this fight. Uh, I think George Foreman certainly was. People didn't know that Hopkins was an elite boxer. In fact, I think it, a lot of people saw him as uh, sort of a slugger, um, a swarmer, and uh, a guy who made things dirty, but not a guy who could be as defensively skilled as he was, um, or as smart. And that was his coming out party against Trinidad. And it was an emotionally charged atmosphere uh, with 9-11 having just happened. Um, Bernard Hopkins kind of inflamed matters by uh, throwing the Puerto Rican flag on the ground. I think he did that twice. Uh, now, a lot of people uh, have used this to criticize Hopkins, but he did have a, a reasoning for it. Now, during uh, Joppy in Trinidad, uh, when they, they sung the national anthem, the Puerto Rican fans booed the anthem. Hopkins didn't like that. Um, and I guess he also was thinking it would make him appeal to uh, American fans um, if he if he like sort of played this patriotic role. Um, but it was also part of getting in Tito's head. All hell broke out. The fight was won that evening or afternoon at the Roberto Coliseum. Roberto Coliseum. The fight was won, not actually because I put the flag down. It was won because they let me leave to come and fight him in New York City. And so I knew when he trained in San Juan, which he never left San Juan to go train. He trained in his homeland. How can a man, takes a strong man, to run, to interact in his state or his city or his island, excuse me, and he sees people and people see him and say, kill Bernard Hopkins, beat Bernard Hopkins. That's a lot of pressure for one man to hear this for four or five weeks. And so I knew that they was going to do the work for me without even knowing it. The fans were. They were so enraged that every time they see him, automatically human, human nature will make you see, get him, get him for us. And he fed into it, I believe. And it was, it, he played the long con, and it went for 12 rounds until he systematically uh, broke down Tito's confidence, stamina, and ultimately his senses. Yeah, Dave, uh, Gabe, sorry, we've spoken about the backdrop there. And obviously Dave's mentioned uh, Mr. Hopkins throwing down the flag, which inflamed uh, a lot of sensitivities before the fight. Hopkins, very decent fighter, very, very hard man. Uh, I think he was looking to make it, uh, so many successful defences to equal Carlos Monzon's record. So there was a lot of history on the line here as well. Um, what did you see leading on up to the fight? Were you rooting for old B-Hop? No, I... I... 
honestly to this day would never call myself a, a fan of what he do, what he does in the ring. Um, not that I dislike him, but I just you know in this fight, Tito was my guy going. Crowd overwhelmingly in favor of Trinidad as they demonstrated in pre-fight pageantry. You know, I think the interesting thing for me was I kind of forgot all about this to some extent because of the events that were surrounding, which we've already covered. And I don't want to go into a whole lot of detail on that. You know, I think we've already covered it fairly well. And that was kind of a thing. Well, I was, you know, still. And I didn't have a full awareness of the impact it was going to have. But, you know, like Andy said, we still see the effects of that day everywhere. And so my mind was maybe not on that fight. You know, it wasn't necessarily um, maybe as impactful to me as a, as a young person as it was for older people and people that lived in New York and people that were closer and had family members and so on and so forth. Um, but also at that time, I really wasn't all that big into, uh, a lot of the under, under behind the scenes stuff, uh, that, that goes on, you know, I knew about the flags being thrown down, so on and so forth. And, you know, to me, everything was good prior to the fight. I was thinking Trinidad's going to take the fight. It's going to be a pretty, pretty good fight, pretty easy not not maybe not easy easy but uh pretty pretty easy to see it flowing out the way that I thought it would and uh to me it just the way Bernard Hopkins fought was was a masterclass and like I said I'll never claim myself to be a fan of, of Bernard Hopkins uh against some people but great showing and and he you know he completely did what he wanted to and it was a masterclass yeah, Andy, just looking at the early rounds of the fight, um, a few notes here. Lots of movement early from Hopkins uh, around the ring, trying to uh, negate, really, um, Trinidad's offense, particularly the money the money punch, which was the big left hook of his. Uh, a bit of holding, a bit of grabbing. He, he was trying to take uh, Trinidad into the trenches. I remember George Foreman at one point is like, that's the kind of fight he wants, obviously, as the fight went on. He didn't actually fight that kind of fight at all. Trinidad likes to have room when he punch, throws his punches. It's up to Hopkins to stay close, as close as he can. Hopkins prizes his skills as an infighter. Many experts expect that Hopkins at some point will try to get up into Trinidad's chest and take away his punching range. And he hasn't done that yet. The old saying is, Oscar De La Hoya moved, I'm gonna move. But yet, that's not the way to fight Trinidad because you lose energy as the rounds go on. But, I mean, the crowd were booing as early as the second round, weren't they? Even though Lederman, Andy, gave Trinidad the first, which, do you think there was a bit of score in there? Lederman was expecting Trinidad to win. He had his narrative already beforehand because it was a close round. Foreman was, I, th I thought, was borderline hating on Hopkins, actually. Either that, he just didn't believe he was a good fighter or, you know, as good as what he was. Bernard Hopkins want to keep hugging and pushing this guy, keep this a wrestling match in his favour. George, is it fair to guess that Hopkins either wants to be way outside or way inside? Yeah, he just hasn't figured out this guy yet. Trying to get relaxed in there, and that's, that's the hard job. But to move around, he's not comfortable moving, I can tell you that. Um, I thought the way Tito came out, he was he was quite tight. I, he came out to try and hurt Hopkins pretty early doors, and he was really trying to load up with that left hook. 
Um, Hopkins, I thought his game plan was excellent, especially early doors. He was just kind of like trying to kind of feel him out, touch the jab, um, move around. He really, really did work on trying to kind of negate that left hook. I think he, he maybe even said post-fight that he was constantly looking at Tito's feet to see when he was trying to plant that kind of lead that lead left foot before he would try to then land the left hook. He'd either roll under it or he would close the distance by kind of going in, as you say, holding up and stuff. Um, or he would just kind of like pick it off, roll under, maybe come out with a right hand. You know, the thing with Hopkins over the course of that fight, that right hand was absolutely tremendous. Biggest blows so far, a Hopkins right hand over the top. Hopkins again lands a right. Trinidad misses his. Hopkins lands his own. Hard right hand by Hopkins. Biggest blow of the fight. Trinidad momentarily stunned. Bell, 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 bell. But, um, you know, boxing on the back foot, just kind of circling the ring, many, many left hooks and stuff like of his own jab, right hand. You know, I, I, I thought I really did think by the third round, um, if you look at it, that, that, that Hopkins was really kind of really starting to kind of put his stamp on the fight. But Bernard Hopkins isn't fading. No, and the bet looks pretty good, at least for the moment, as he gives Trinidad a spirited fight. Bernard Hopkins is dictating the tempo, and he's making Trinidad think about coming more to him. Hopkins sticks the jab right on the point of Trinidad's chin as round three comes to a close. Obviously, as a fight in a war on middle rounds, which I know kind of fast forward too much just now, but I thought as a, as a fight really did begin to wear on, especially six, seven rounds and that, you know, Hopkins was just becoming absolutely dominant. It was clear to me that Trinidad was absolutely getting frustrated with Hopkins' style. You know, he's re is really awkward. You know, he doesn't stand in the pocket for long. If he does land, he's going to land a right hand. He's, I think his power's quite deceptive a wee bit at times, especially against, like, you know, Trinidad, okay, he's, he's a big puncher. Some people would actually say that he's a wee bit suspect in that department because he's, he's had Maybe he's been wrapping his hands funny because there was some allegations before the fight that he had maybe had a... It wasn't so much plaster, it was the, it was the way that he wrapped his hands compared to the New York Commission. But um, I, I just think, you know, as, as it wore on, Trinidad really did begin to fr get frustrated with him and Hopkins just basically showed his brilliance, you know. Bernard Hopkins showing that a Philadelphia fighter can box as well as brawl, whatever his reputation is. Yeah, Dave, um, a couple of signs of the times that I noted when I was watching this fight. Obviously, we're going back to 2001. Uh, Hopkins had goldenpalace.com painted onto his back, uh, quite a, a feature at that time. You don't really see that now. Maybe they've banned it or something. I know Sven Otka and a few other fighters used to have the painted back. And also, midway through the third round, the AOL online scorecard was in operation. It said that 60% to 40% thought that Hopkins was winning the fight. He certainly looked like it, Dave, by the third round because Andy mentioned the right hand, but it was that jab. That lovely jab was just whacking off Trinidad's head time and time again. Not much head movement from Trinidad at that time. I don't know who those 25% were about midway through the fight that actually had Tita winning it, but uh, they were either Puerto Ricans or they were on the ching. Uh, yeah, Hopkins was pretty clearly dominant after. Uh, I, th I think the fifth round was a real turning point. Um, he seemed to gain this significant boost of confidence as he realized he was better and he realized that Tito was not on his level and couldn't really touch him. Hopkins is at boxing Trinidad and he's winning most of the rallies. Yeah, but Hopkins has used a lot of his footwork 
legs up, moving around. That's not good. He's got his back against the ropes. He's living dangerously. He's still outscoring Trinidad. He's landing two punches to everyone for Trinidad. Um, and he, he sort of decides in the fifth round, especially at the end there when they, they trade after the bell, and Hopkins just like goes right after him and, and tries to land two more punches. He's, he's at the pinnacle of his confidence, and, and that's the first time in the fight where it looks like Trinidad is getting frustrated and discouraged. Um, after the first round, it, which was fairly close and fairly even, Tito in the corner says, he can't beat me, I got him. Hey, hey, he, he can't beat me, I got him. According to the interpreter, all, the, all my, uh, all my uh, speech from the corner of, of Trinidad is based on what the interpreter said. It, it's going to be easy now. It's only a matter of time before you get him. It was a very subtle, very subtle process how Hopkins sort of, it was, it was a lot like a rope-a-dope, actually. Um, and I think he rope-a-doped Foreman as well. That's what you don't want to do with You thought that Hopkins would gamble more against Trinidad early? Just jump right on him. You're not, he said he wasn't afraid. Talking to talk, now you got to jump on him. Hopkins' back is starting to touch the ring, the ropes a lot more. That's what you don't want. At the end of the fight, you hear you hear Foreman yelling, "He tricked us! He tricked us!" It must have felt sort of like when he had been rope doped by Ali, um, because he he had in his mind who this guy was, who who Hopkins was, sort of this. He, and, he, and he also had a, an idea of what a Philly slugger was. Um, maybe he even saw something of himself in Tito Trinidad, you know, a, a young, fresh, big puncher um, who just loads up, and then he's against this Philly guy who uh, likes to fight on the inside, moves his head low. I mean, like Joe Frazier, maybe he saw it. Some, maybe he, he just expected the fight to go down like that. He, he just uh, he underestimated the, uh, the Philly craft. Harold Letterman, how have you scored it through six? Hopkins, hey, four rounds to two, 58-56, Bernard Hopkins. I never in my wildest dreams thought that I'd ever see Bernard Hopkins win his fight with an outside game, but that's what he's doing. Go ahead, Andy. And I was just going to say that, you know, just again, you know, going back to Foreman, I don't know if you guys kind of clocked it on about the sixth round or whatever it was that, you know, he was saying, I really did think that Lampley was actually kind of disagreeing with him. Well, he, he basically did say that, actually, he was disagreeing with him, that he felt that Hopkins was tired in six rounds. And there's no sign yet that Hopkins is wearing down. Oh, yes, there are a lot of signs. But too many signs. What are the signs that he's wearing down? He went to his ring, to his, to his corner, and laid his legs flat out. Trinidad is still sitting in a sitting position. Hopkins looks pretty good here as he backs Trinidad up with a combination. A furious pace in round six, by far the best round of the fight. I don't know how you guys find it. Do you think that Foreman was really getting on his case during that fight and he was just absolutely kind of like draining the testicles yes. of Trinidad? He certainly was, Andy, and there was one particular moment where um, I think Lampley mentioned Hopkins' corner, very experienced cornerman, 73-year-old Bowie Fisher, joined by Leon Tabs and Nazim Richardson. And Lampley gave credit to Bowie, an old veteran who knew what he was doing. And mm -hmm. Foreman said Hopkins is tiring. Bowie Fisher is giving him the wrong advice. He shouldn't be jabbing with him. Tito is the puncher. He was contradicting everything. It was like Dave said, Andy. He had a preconceived idea of what he was expecting to see in there, and he, it was all being destroyed in front of him. He didn't like it, George. Bernard Hopkins' trainer... Bowie Fisher is not nearly as well known as Felix Trinidad Sr. 
But Fisher is a 73-year-old proven pro who knows every trick in the book and has done a brilliant job of training Hopkins throughout his career. He told him to try to jab with Trinidad. That's not a good idea. Don't jab with him. You catch him off balance and then jab him because he turns that jab into a hook once you start trying to step in with power. Yep, I'd say I remember one comment after round seven, uh, maybe even round six, when Bowie Fisher saying to Hopkins in between rounds and stuff like that, he, you know, he, he just basically, you know, he can't out jab you. And again, it's, it's again testament that he was just getting frustrated, just kind of loading up those big shots all the time. I know George's commentary is, is really infamous for the fight, uh, for this fight in particular. Um, he was known to cheerlead guys that he, he liked or that he, he had like a concept in his mind of, of how good they were. Uh, Oscar De La Hoya was one he would do. Um, I also think he sort of had a thing for uh, for guys, like because I, you could tell that uh, Lampley and Merchant were very excited, I think, about how, how well Hopkins was doing early. And as Bernard Hopkins says, he's not going to ask the referee to change things. He'll take it into his own hands. And I think maybe there was a, some sense of like, well, the American is winning. This is so inspiring for us considering our uh, recent tragedy. Um, and I think Foreman kind of wanted to stick up for Tito because he was not getting the, the credit. And it, it just sort of reminds me of when Holyfield and Lewis fought the first time and George Foreman was like, wouldn't it be nice if the crowd just chanted Evander Holyfield? He was literally trying to start a, a, ch a chant for Holyfield because um, his, his bias was just so clear. And, and I, th I don't know if it's what, because he wants an underdog or, or why, but um, fair play to him. I think his technical breakdown was okay. Um, he he had he had uh, the foot the feet positioning thing down. He he noticed it very early on. I think in the third round, um, even though he wasn't giving Hopkins much credit until past round eight, he he said that um, Hopkins was doing the right thing by making him get off the mark, as he put it. Trinidad is on the mark. What do you on mean the, by that? George? He's on the ball of that right foot. When you see him up on the on the on his right foot like that, he's on the mark, getting ready to deliver like a track runner or something. Take off. Oh, got to keep him off that position. You got to keep him out of that position. And how? How do you keep him out of that you position? By, by moving to his left, so he always have to pick that foot up and set it down. Now he's off. Now when when Tito was was on the ball of his his right foot, so he could spring spring in, which is. A foot speed was, was a really huge part of, of Tito's games, like lunging in there and, and getting in that left hook or other big punches. Um, and Hopkins kept the lateral movement just so precisely perfect that uh, Trinidad could never set himself to do those lunges or, or, uh, or uh, spring attacks like he, he, he specialized in. And uh, I don't, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to me because George saw what needed to be done, but he, he didn't see what was happening. But he did admit it at the end, to, to be fair. Yes, yes. And in around round seven, Larry does actually pull George up on this as well uh, for not giving Hopkins enough credit. You're not going to find this kind of determination often in a fight as you see in Phoenix Trinidad. Why don't you want to give Hopkins more credit, George? He's fighting a terrific fight so far. He's doing a great job. But this determination of this guy keeps coming back. It just takes everything out of your legs, takes everything out of your heart. Well, they're both champions. Between rounds, Felix Trinidad asked his father in the corner, am I winning the fight? 
and Trinidad Senior said, yes, you are. Gabe, I'm uh, eager to hear your assessment of the early to mid rounds as well. Just uh, going back to the corners, actually, I wasn't particularly impressed by Felix Trinidad Senior. You know, he kept saying it's going to be easy now, the interpreter uh, said. It, it's only a matter of time before you get him. He kept repeating this over and over, Gabe. Not really much specifics. I think he was confused in the corner, as his son was in the ring, that, uh, you know, uh, Trinidad Junior's hand speed and his power weren't landing on Hopkins, and they're a little bit, fu bit, bit befuddled in the corner. I thought. You gotta keep your hands up. Yeah, you gotta keep your hands up so you can get him. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that, like many of us as as viewers, were kind of perplexed by what we maybe perplexed by what we were seeing. Um, I, like you said, I think a lot of, uh, I think everybody's already mentioned it, that, that a lot of us had a preconceived notion of what Bernard Hopkins was. Um, and, and actually I saw, uh, Lou DiBella was his, was his manager and he was having a hard time getting him some, getting him some good fights. And, uh, that was kind of a catalyst for this whole tournament, uh, was getting Bernard to sign on for it. And, um, I think. People just didn't understand what Hopkins was, and they didn't appreciate him. Hopkins lands a right, Trinidad lands a left. Felix is a marathon runner who builds the tempo from round to round, and he's trying to build it with the left hook right here. Four straight left hands by Trinidad. Hopkins blocked almost every one of those punches. And I think Trinidad, the Trinidad's team, was the same way they were in the corner they weren't given any technical advice and it, you know it's one of those things that to me it's fine if you're winning to to say carry on keep doing what you're doing but if something's not working i mean it's the definition of insanity okay let, let's see if, if you get up there you, you throw some punches so we can get them now you got to work with him real good Let's see if we can punch up and down. You got to throw punches. One hand, one hand. When you get him, you, when you get him, the fight will be over. He's not going to be able to take your punches. But you got to know that your hands have to be up. Keep your hands up. You know, they just technically weren't prepared for what was in front of them. Um, they didn't have a game plan for it. And then they, there was no adaptation to what they were seeing. And it was kind of similar to maybe with the De La Hoya fight. I think they thought Oscar was going to stay in front of him, and, and he didn't, and he moved. And they were kind of maybe not expecting that either in that fight. And so I think it was just kind of a collective issue where, you know, maybe they, were, they worked well with the style that they had, and they had some success with a lot of fighters. But whenever they were presented with something they didn't have a good plan for, there was no adaptation going on and er early what i was seeing in the fight which you guys have already mentioned was was the footwork but one thing that i think was was critical was the distance he kept just enough distance to where trinidad was right at the end of his uh, he was right at the end of trinidad's punches and the timing was superior of course, the timing came from the footwork that he was using, and that advanced throughout the fight. The timing got better. The footwork was always superior for Bernard Hopkins. And I think that 
you can see that starting early in the fight, you can see the footwork was the key. He kept his feet in the right position and always at the end of Trinidad's punches until he wanted to be in. He was timing him perfectly and he was always right where he needed to be. And so what, what I think you see early on is just the beginning of what you see later to come. It was just the freshness of it all. And like you guys have mentioned, or well, I think they've specifically said that he just always in the right spot and his lateral movement was perfect. There was just a, a textbook fight on how to control distance and how to control your opponent in their positioning in your own positioning and how you make that maybe the single biggest thing, because like I said, the, the, the timing all stemmed from, from footwork. He noticed that Trinidad, you know, when he, like he's like Dave said, when he got up on the ball of his right foot, he would, t he would take a little half step forward in his other fights. And then that's whenever he would jab. Trinidad stalking relentlessly, imposing mental pressure on Hopkins as he does on all of his opponents. Even when technically outgunned, Felix Trinidad is always coming. Always coming. Good thing about Hopkins, he's not allowing Trinidad to get up on that right foot. He's making him keep it flat. That's what you want. If he's going to hit you, let him be out of position to do it good. So it's a little half step and a jab, or a half step and a hook, if he was close enough, kind of depending on positioning. But Bernard saw the footwork. And now it's easy for me to say that I can see it because I've gone back through all the Trinidad fights and, and I've watched them all over the years and you can see it as plain as day. It's, it's how a lot of fighters get into that really rhythmic pattern and they carry out the same things. Um, when we could sit here and talk about that literally all day, but yeah, I mean, what you're seeing early on is just footwork and timing. People out there who never heard of Bernard Hopkins, he hasn't had a lot of big television fights. We're hearing about him and seeing him now. Yeah, midway through the fight, Larry Merchant labels a 36-year-old Hopkins as a geriatric wonder. Little did he know the age that B-Hop would be boxing on till. You're seeing the hunger of a 36-year-old man who's waited a long time for this moment. A geriatric wonder. Uh, by round nine, Andy, Hopkins is making Trinidad look like a one-dimensional slugger. There's no two ways about it. The jabs and the right hands are just absolutely raining in. It was so simple, but it was so effective. And Trinidad was just starting to get beaten up in around rounds nine and ten. And he didn't go undefeated and have 20 championship fights by not being able to take punches well. And Hopkins is trying to make Trinidad walk into his traps now. He's setting traps. I think once you get to that part of the fight, and if you remember the build-up to it, you know, as I say, you know, Trinidad was two-to-one favourite, Hopkins seventy-two underdog, and then you see, but the, as you said, the, the middle part of that fight, Hopkins was just in complete command. Uh, you know, as you say, round eight, I thought it was an absolute clinic. Round nine, probably similar. You know, he was Hopkins was blocking, he was parrying, he was circling, landing. You know, simple counters, simple jabs, right overhand rights. Trinidad got in a good shot on Hopkins' neck. Bernard lands a straight right hand up the pipe, and that gives him room to move off the ropes. And for the first time in the fight, Hopkins is grinning at Tito Trinidad. He was able to hit him with the right hand and move out of the way. And there's another big right hand. And again, he moves out of the way. 
say I heard you. I'm going to get you some more. Hit you and get out of the way. And another right hand for Hopkins. This is a cold, clinical, totally professional performance by a true professional prize fighter, Bernard Hopkins. Uh, you know, as Dave says, he probably just kept enough distance there just to kind of like make, uh, make Trinidad miss or so he could fall into clinch or whatever. Um, you know, just simple stuff, as you say, boxing and moving, just, you know, proper old school stuff. You know, when he tied up on the inside, he was kind of landing sneaky shots to the kidneys and then inside to the ribs, to the body. Um, you know, even at one point, I think it was round eight or nine, I think Smoger had to get involved. You know, this is a prime Steve Smoger um, for trying to use the elbow or trying to kind of like, you know, push Hopkins in the throat or whatever. That, that was just clear signs that, that, that Trinidad was, 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 getting, was getting frustrated. And now Trinidad shuffles his own feet to try to dazzle Bernard, and Bernard says, you shuffle a while, I'll hit you. Trinidad is playing into Hopkins' hand now with the foolishness. And if you, yeah, if you actually remember some of the shots that, that, that Hopkins was landing by this point, you know, the crowd was absolutely silenced compared to that, his actual entry for Tito and, you know, the chance for him, you know, the first, the first two rounds, you know, Hopkins just absolutely silenced him. You know, and as, I, I don't know if, if someone said it already, but you know, Foreman, he says, I can't believe what I'm seeing. I think it might have been used to you, said that. And said, you know, indeed, you know, Hopkins was, you know, no out boxing trader, he was out fighting him. You can go back eight years in this sport and you won't find a fight in which either man was declared a loser. And it's abundantly clear now that neither man came here tonight expecting to lose. Hopkins believes. Whether Trinidad will be able to beat the belief out of him remains to be seen. But right now, Bernard is showing a multiplicity of skills as he continues to outbox Tito. I don't believe what I'm seeing. I don't believe it. Yeah. For, you know, good parts of that fight. He was, he was unloading some big punches, and, you know, Tito couldn't really, you know, he couldn't, he could probably took the shots, you know, well, he did take them all night long, I suppose, but I'm not wanting to kind of jump right in at the finish at the minute because, I, I, you know, if you look at it for the camera above the ring, it was an absolutely fantastic finish, but I think, you know, by round 10, I think Tito was, I, I don't know if he went sent out there to basically make a last stand. Once again between rounds, Tito Trinidad asked his father if he's winning, and once again, Trinidad Sr. said, yes, you are. I, think, I think Trinidad is asking that question because he doesn't really think he's winning. No, I think he wore the most discouraged look I've ever seen on his face between rounds. But it was a last stand because... He threw everything at, at Hopkins. It ended up becoming round, uh, round of the year, actually, if I remember rightly, uh, for 2001, uh, by Ring Magazine. This is the determination of Felix Trinidad. Man is going to have to take some chances. And if you match by the determination of Bernard Hopkins, what an awesome show. What a great, great fight as we come down the stretch in the 10th Ooh. round. Blood coming out of Trinidad's nose. You know, he was he was basically was pushing it, but I thought Hopkins matched him, even though... Foreman was saying you know, a few rounds before that he was, he was tired and Hopkins upped his game, you know, Tito kind of tried to step on it, try to, you know, make a final stand. Hopkins matched him in more all the way and right at the end of the round, he caught him a fantastic uppercut, actually. you just seen Tito's legs begin to wobble. I think even Merchant actually even called it, actually, as well as, you know. And Trinidad almost looks out on his feet. Out on his feet, he said. I was going to say he was out on his feet, but I, I, I don't know if he had, I don't know if an extra 10, 15 seconds would be enough to actually stop him, actually. I think, you know, we'd be a bit longer because Hopkins wasn't like one of those guys to, you know, pile in there and actually end it. Tito ripping with both hands, trying to break Bernard down 
with power shots. Hopkins countering back twice with the left hook. Here come punch, come punch. You know, everything that Hopkins did was premeditated, wasn't it? You know, comp- you know, as you guys say about the flag, you know, responding to the, like, the American anthem being booed and stuff like that. Even in the ring, everything he did was premeditated. But um, I don't know if he ever stopped and we had another 10, 15 seconds. I think he maybe dropped him actually, but at that point, you know, Trinidad, he, he was all in after that point. I, re- I really did think after the, after the 10th, he was he was really done. Yeah, as the fight progressed, the uh, crowd were being silenced, as Andy mentioned. You could actually hear Boo Fisher screaming from ringside on the TV to use the jab, use the jab. That's how quiet things had got. By the start of round 11, hey to Dave, 10% of the AOL online scoring still had Tito winning the fight. So as you alluded to earlier, that was probably the Puerto Ricans still believing there. 90% thought Hopkins was going to win. Hopkins' confidence was unshakable. Apparently, he had bet $100,000 on himself to win the fight, and he must have been looking forward to cashing in, Dave, by this 11th round because the fight was almost in the bag. Well, yeah, apparently he bet the $100,000 that he got for renting out the, the space on his back to be painted which only lasted about two and a half rounds and it was like all faded. Um, yeah. I, I, I think maybe those 10% uh, were listening to uh, Felix Trinidad uh, his, because as, as, they, as they kept telling us uh, during the fight, the uh, interpretation from the corner was that Tito, obviously frustrated, knowing he was, knowing he was busted up, knowing he was in serious trouble, uh, kept asking his dad, am I winning? And his dad said, yes. Um, I, I don't. Th- I was not impressed with the corner work uh, from his uh, trainer dad. I doubt if his corner will let him come out another round. His daddy's still telling him he's winning. No, his dad may have to tell him to sit it out. Hopkins is dangerous now. All of a sudden, he's starting to smell victory and even a knockout. And he's patient with it. Although I think that his cut man did pretty well. Is it that one guy with the pins in his hat? I can't remember his name. But uh, t- but uh, Tito was eating a lot of leather, and uh, he, his face was kept from swelling up. Um, didn't ever, ever get any serious cuts or or, or bruising. So uh, good good job on the cut uh, cut man. But the corner the training was not so not so impressive. Certainly wasn't, Gabe. We're coming up into the home straights now towards the stoppage. Rounds 9, 10 and 11, Trinidad was starting to get desperate. I think in round 10, he came out and gave it an almighty go. He really came out firing and trying to get rid of Hopkins. Bernard just sucked it up in fantastic condition and started firing back. That was just the last hurrah for Trinidad, Trinidad, I think. Hopkins senses that Trinidad is weakening. Very weak. This guy has been a fox and a terror. Bernard Hopkins. Trinidad is everything we would not expect. He's been dead and more. Everything. Trinidad is hurt from the accumulation of punishment as round 11 comes to a close. There was an argument he could have been stopped. He looked like he was going in the 11th and obviously it was finished off in the 12th. But the writing was on the wall in that 9th, 10th. And he, he tried to give it a go, but it just wasn't there. Sometimes it takes a long time to be young. Bernard Hopkins at 36. Still seems young, fighting one of the great fighters of recent times. No, it wasn't. And I think even uh, even that 10% had to have known what they were seeing. You know, I always, I always enjoy seeing the, um, 
you know, they still do that with the online polls or, you know, however the, the, the viewers can vote. And you'll still see it to this day where the some particular fighter will be losing as clear as day and there will be still a 5, 10, 20 percent group of people that are still cheering them on and still saying they're winning the fight. At this point, it doesn't take a uh, seasoned viewer or a knowledgeable expert to know that what we're seeing here is kind of the last little bit from Trinidad. It resembled the De La Hoya fight in a lot of ways. Oscar De La Hoya exposed the vulnerability of Trinidad. Yes, particularly Trinidad's vulnerability to feints and movement. Hopkins said to me, I'm no De La Hoya, but I saw that Felix fell for every feint against Oscar, so I'll be using them too. That's not like a Philadelphia fighter at all, fainting. <laughs> George, they've been a lot of great boxers out of Philadelphia, and you couldn't survive the famous gym wars of Philadelphia if you couldn't box. Yeah, this guy's boxing tonight. You could see in that fight, I don't think even Trinidad thought he won. Um, you could see the something in the body language is, is similar from that fight towards the end of, of uh, to the end of the B-Hop fight. I think it was, the right, yeah, the writing was on the wall. I mean, it was fairly evident what was, what was going on. I don't know that even at that point that I expected Trinidad to... Uh, be knocked out. I still thought that he would make it till the end, but I knew that he was getting banged up a little bit. He was getting roughed up. He was getting hit clean. He had no real answers for anything that Bernard Hopkins was doing. Hopkins better go for safety and get a knockout. You just can't trust judges. Well, Hopkins still wants to fight. He's not sitting on his lead. He's seen somebody try to do that against Trinidad without success. Hopkins imposing his will and his skill on the man who is tonight the lesser fighter. Procosm of, of, you know, his shortcomings as a fighter and the shortcomings of his corner round by round, you know, there was no tactical information being given. There was no for him to be told what he needed to do. It just was, it was simply over. I think you could see the end coming. Uh, my mind, going back to to the first time whenever I whenever I watched this fight, was that well, it's over. I mean, we know who's going to win. The decision is going to be clear, unless Trinidad has a miracle event. How you How you feeling, Tito? You okay? Can you fight another round? Can you fight another round? Let me know. Keep your hands up. Scores a knockdown or two, or find some magic to to knock Hopkins out, which I really, I don't know that anybody who knows what they're seeing would have expected that to happen. Me, me included. I, I completely had no thoughts that that was a high probability thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was just Hopkins literally started with technical wizardry and progressed to beating down Trinidad. I mean, he that's the way the fight went. He first out, outclassed him with his technical abilities. Then he started using that technical ability to take Trinidad's confidence. 
And once he had his confidence taken away, he was able to go in and do as he pleased and land some really heavy punches, land some hard shots. Um, and then the, the, the result was going to be clear. Um, I did read Smoger. Steve Smoger was a ref for that fight. I always enjoy watching uh, uh, fights that Smoger referees because he lets them go. He, he does let fighters fight on. Um, but he said that whenever he got to the 12th round, I may be jumping the gun a little bit. Sorry if I'm advancing too fast. No, go on ahead, Gabe. It's fine. Okay, he said that he put his he you know he puts his hands up in the air and he doesn't wave the fight off. He's thinking uh, his his words and I couldn't get them exactly right, so this is just paraphrasing. Basically, I saw Trinidad was hurt, but I thought it could go on, so I was going to let the fight continue. This fight is over. Steve Smoker stops it. No. And uh, then, of course, we know uh, Papa Trinidad jumped in the ring and. And the fight was stopped then. Bernard, Dino Trinidad comes in, has and done it. He knocked out Trinidad. But I believe he was going to let uh, Trinidad fight on. If that would have been the case, I think Hopkins would have definitely scored a knockout. I wish that he had, because it was. I mean, it, it I mean it was kind of ridiculous to allow it to go on, considering how dominant Hopkins had been. But uh, Tito was getting smashed around like a bobblehead, and I would have liked to see him put down. Uh, and the crowd shut up permanently because um, I didn't. I didn't like their uh, their booing of of my man Hopkins. Um, though to be fair, I don't think they were booing America in this fight. Um, everybody seemed happy with the the uh, the anthems and 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 supportive of even that horrific performance of God Bless America by that R and B recording artist Gen- Genuine or whatever um, who fucked up so bad. He said. Um, God bless America from the mountains to the prairies, white with foam. Obviously, there's another line in there, from the prairies to the oceans, white with foam. But uh, that's another story. The guy fucked up. From the mountains to the prairies, white with foam. From the mountains to the prairies, white with foam. I think it was interesting to, to see how post or pre-fight you had you had a lot of, of animosity between the two fighters and between their their followings and their countrymen, and uh, uh, like you mentioned at that point when the fight actually got around to coming together and and, and going on, how. It was much different. It, it, it was less about, uh, to a lot of people, I guess, you know, one one place versus the other. It was then, you know, kind of a, it was a strange, it's it's strange to me. I don't know if, if anybody else felt that way about it, but how you had, like I said, literally the, the two countries, one versus the other, and, and this country versus that country, and then it kind of just, that stuff kind of really did fade away for in favor to what I viewed as a more i'm backing my my guy i like this fighter more this is who i'm backing and more respectful um because i think there was a lot of a lot of of uh sensitivity regarding that stuff at that point in time i mean you know i'm a pretty big metal fan slayer the heavy metal band i don't know if you guys follow them but maybe some of our listeners do had a record coming out at that time and and uh i think it got pushed back and and, and the release was held off because it was you know, 
deemed insensitive because of everything that was going on and some songs and stuff were pulled off the air um at, at hard rock and metal stations that were you know on air and so i just thought it was interesting that you mentioned that because it did it kind of faded into a different kind of event from what it was starting out as and what it had kind of boiled up to well boxing has a way of of doing that better than any other sport i think of putting things in perspective um instead of like once that first bell rings it's no longer ideology versus ideology country against country it's man versus man and i think boxing really has a way of reminding us of that especially when both guys did show class after the fight and, and sort of respected one another and a word for Smoger as well, Dave. He doesn't like to stop a fight too quickly, does he? Uh, I, I mean, we saw what happened with Glenn Tapia was was uh, was quite notable. Um, I think that was his most recent one, and I think that was probably his worst screw up that I've seen. Um, usually, I, I appreciate that he lets fights go on, but in in that case, um, and I mean, even in the Trinidad case, he should have stopped the fight. I mean, it, I, I personally would have liked to see Trinidad get. Uh, battered but Lebedev, Roy Jones Jr. that was another one forgot that was Smoger yeah Paul Ingle against Junior Jones as well I think I think it's going to be feast or famine with 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 Smoger in the ring because of his because of his nature I mean he he wants to let every fighter have the opportunity to to have a big moment you know and 99% of the time it's not going to work out the way that it did in in Corrales Castillo, you know, it's not going to happen that way. But I, I really appreciate the fact that he allows that to go on. But like I said, it's just more of a byproduct of him letting people fight on that. It, sometimes it does go a little bit further than probably it should, you know. But in all likelihood, there's always those people that say, you know, the the ones that get pissed off because a fight gets stopped too soon. So, you know, it, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. I think Smoker's a hell of a referee. Plus, people still complain to this day. I was reading in the YouTube comments. People complain to this day that Hopkins pushed him and and that he should have been Dr. Point or something. I mean, we, we all saw the finish. Uh, it was it, it, he, he leads with an uppercut, almost catches Tito, but Tito counters with a left hook. Uh, Hopkins parries it perfectly and immediately, knowing that there's an opening um, with Tito's left hand away from home, he just swings in that right hand and right in the chin, perfect shot. Um, timing was beautiful, and uh, Tito went right down. Now, he did push him sort of off of him, but he was headed down either way. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's much controversy there aside from certain Tito fans. Yeah, Hopkins came out, Andy, and he obviously wasn't sure what the judges were scoring at the time. As it turns out, Don Ackerman had him up 109 to 100. Stanley Christodoulou and Anek Hong Tong Cam had him uh, 107 to 102. He was 108 to 101 on Harold Lederman's unofficial HBO uh, scorecard. But Hopkins wasn't to know. He wanted to get the job done, Andy, with that right hand just crumpled uh, Trinidad into a heap. Probably the best way to go about it, mate. You just stay... Especially when you're in Madison Square Garden, New York City, whatever. I mean, you just never know. I just think you know the, the way Hopkins, you know, the game plan, a dominant middleweight, and that's that's what Hopkins was at that time um, against a dominant fighter. You know, he always said uh, pre-fight he would dictate the pace, he would make uh, Trinidad fight his fight. 
Um, you know, I think Dave kind of laid it up pretty well there about, about the finish. I thought the finish was absolutely exquisite. I mean, if you look at it, if you look at this, um, the aerial view of that shot, is, as Dave says, he, he leads with the left uppercut and misses, but he's still got the wave of all, even though as, as the left uppercut comes up in an upward motion, he, he still comes forward because Trinidad's thrown the left hook, he's automatically got his guard up. So he hits, he hits the, or well, he parries his shot in, in his uh, forearms, and he's automatically straight in there with the right hand, right bang on the chin. Okay, I everybody says he gave him a wee push and stuff, but he was he was going to do it anyway. I really did think that you know there was a good there was a good chance or a good call you could have stopped uh, trying that after loving round. I don't think he really wanted to, you know much more of that. Okay, ever the warrior, you know he did emerge for the final round, but it was really it was only a matter of time. Hopkins was basically having his way with him any which way but loose. Um, I just think, you know, even the most ardent Hopkins fan going into that fight, they couldn't have believed he was going to dominate him like that. They couldn't have really thought that because, you know, as I say, Trinidad was like this unbeatable monster, 40 and 0, something like 33 knockouts. You know, it was Wayne Lace to some of the great fighters, you know, going in there um, against like. In that fight, sorry, I mean, he beat Whitaker, De La Hoya, David Reed. Those guys are three ex Olympic gold medalists. He beat the absolute snot of Fernando Vargas. You've seen it done to William Joppe. He's got this cloak of invincibility. And at age 28, by the end of that 12th round, you know, by age 28, Tito Trinidad was no more. He's he was that cloak of invincibility was absolutely erased. I mean, if you look at his, his career after, but he, he fought four times. Over like a six, seven year span, you know, it, it, okay, he came back and fought Roy Jones Jr. for it was his last fight for fifteen million dollars. He could still, you know, earn a payday back then. But again, as I say, it's a bit like Cotto against Margarito at twenty eight. Twenty eight for for Tito was that actually end for him as well as it was for Cotto at that point. Mentally, physically, I just thought they were absolutely ruined both of them against Margarito and Hopkins in their respective nights. Well, uh, I think uh, the same can be said of Wilfred Benitez. I think he peaked early as well. It's these Puerto Rican guys. <laughs> they peak young and then they uh, they burn out quick. Ephemeral. I'm not saying anything against Puerto Ricans. I'm just saying uh, maybe it's the culture there. I mean, they start young and they, they, they... I mean, Tito had 40 fights. That's a lot of damn fights. Um, so, I mean, no wonder he burns out young. He, he, start, he, he was active as hell and, and fought a lot of very tough names in that, that amount of time. Did you want to add something there, Gabe? No, I think I think they just covered it with this last bit of of you know the discussion on on why they maybe as he said burn out so quick because they're starting young, they're going, they're they're having lots of fights. I mean, um, Trinidad was was just kind of to me one of the last people that I that I recall from from my time. I understand what's going on. Um, who really fought consistently? I mean, if you look, moving on past that fight, Hopkins really went intermittent uh, after his stretch of, of of dominance. Whenever he lost to Jermaine Taylor, I, I believe after that fight, he kind of went to being less active. You know, I mean, guys, now I think this might be a topic for a different day, but they're not as active. He seemed like he was one of the on the tail end of those people who try to stay more active as fighters. Um, the, of course, it's all relative because these guys are having forty fights instead of you know one hundred and twenty fights or 
however many they would have. So, you know, I mean, I guess it really is relative. Um, but I, I think it's interesting to note that, like he said, and Wilfred Benitez is another one. I mean, I thought the guy, I, I really enjoyed it. I wasn't around to see a lot of his stuff in his heyday. I've all seen most of it um, uh, later on. But he was great to watch, too. It's just maybe it's a strange thing. Maybe it's, maybe it's just coincidence. Um, I tend to lean that way. But, you know, it's interesting to point out those facts. Wasn't Benitez trained by his, his dad or somebody, too? Like, they, they, Cotto, Tito, Benitez, all trained yeah. by family? Yeah, Benitez was fighting as a kid in the streets and stuff. Like, age, I don't know, you know young anyway. And basically, threw coppers on I mean... 17-year-old, I think that record still stands against, uh, you know, that, that victory against uh, Antonio Cervantes, that was an absolute, you know, prime-ish performance for a 17-year-old kid, okay, some people might dispute his age and stuff, but it was, uh, it was a fantastic performance nonetheless. Yes, just before we start wrapping up, a very quick nod to the undercard as we do on these events, just to give a context of what was going on at the time. Uh, Ricardo Lopez, this was his uh, last ever fight, a last fight for the Mexican legend. He knocked out South Africa's Zolani Patello in the eighth round of an IBF light flyweight title defence. Michel Picciarillo, an Italian, there's a name from the past for you, uh, defeated Rafael Pineda, a welterweight by a unanimous decision. And Byron Mitchell, defeated Manny Siaka, Puerto Rican, uh, for the WBA super middleweight title uh, via split decision as well. Now, uh, Andy, I was just going to ask you, actually, I know that Gabe and uh, Dave probably watched the fight live on HBO. I was curious as to how you watched the fight because I was thinking to myself back then in 2001 um, that I didn't have Sky or there was no online facilities or anything. So I actually used to order video cassettes from a guy in the back of the boxing monthly. So three weeks after Hopkins defeated Trinidad, I had a long play cassette come to me in the post and I managed to finally watch the fight. How, how did you get it? I can't remember how I watched it, actually. It wasn't live anyway. I can remember that much. Um wasn't for me either. I was only in seventh grade at the time and a supreme casual, so... <laughs> I can't remember. I, I was definitely... It must have been one of my mates' house, actually, because you used to have, like... What we used to do, is, especially for, like, some of the big fights for America and that were shown on Sky and that, we'd maybe go around there with a carry and somebody would have, like, a couple of fights that would stick on the VCR or whatever and that and just would sit and watch some of the old school and that. But it must have been along those lines because I, I vaguely remember seeing it. And it wasn't until, obviously, like, the events on YouTube and that and I got kind of tech savvy, maybe around about the age of, like, this would be around about early 2003, four or whatever and that. I kind of seen the fight again. Um, I remember seeing it before I went away in holiday to China one year, actually, so... Uh, it was definitely on YouTube, but I can't remember how I watched it, but it was definitely wasn't live. I can remember that much. Yeah, it was definitely a video cassette I got hold of. Um, hey to Dave, just a quick look at Hopkins's career post-Trinidad. Trinidad, we've obviously explained, he didn't really have much to speak of after that. That sort of finished him. You know, I know that might be a strong thing to say, but it sort of did. As for Hopkins, he went from strength to strength, Dave. Uh, wins over the likes of William Joppe, Oscar De La Hoya, fantastic win. Jermaine Taylor, a couple of losses to him, then some... Good wins over Tarva, Ronald Winky Wright, Kelly Pavlik. Dropped the decision to Mr. Calzaghi, obviously. I mean, it's clear that the world know and the fans know, other than the Brits know I won this fight. And I made it look uh, slightly easy, but look at my face. I'm not bruised up. I don't have a bruise. I bust him up. I hit him with short right hands. And I control the pace like a true veteran. The Roy Jones rematch, uh, I think we'll leave that one. John Pascal, Chad Dawson. Still fighting right up to nearly 50 against the likes of Kovalev and Joe Smith. Not too shoddy, was he, Mr. Hopkins? 
No, in fact, uh, he was seen as old at the time, but the story was just beginning. Um, and that was the, what made him a star. Um, and I, I don't think that he was to receive the recognition he would later get at that time. Um, people still didn't really like him. I mean, he's he's not the most uh, friendly guy. He's not the most humble guy. He's he's a bit insecure. He uh, he's very emotional and he's he's very prideful. Um, he's like uh, like a like a stray dog. Uh, at least at this time, he was. Now he he he's sort of he's sort of. Uh, evolved as he's gotten richer and older and, and wiser and gray bearded. But at the time he was, I mean, he, he was from the streets, from the penitentiary. He was fighting in there for survival. He was like a, like a dog, stray dog in a, in a fight over a, the last piece of meat in the, in the scrapyard. I mean, it was, that's just how, how he fought, how he was in and out of the ring. Bernard Hopkins won't take no for an answer. Uh, he, he was, relentless um and that's what sort of originally drew me to him as a fan uh was his sort of give no fucks about anybody but me attitude um it's it's not the most admirable trait but it's sort of respectable when it produces such impressive results and as for mr trinidad gabe um for tassin sharifi who was ancient by that point in a puerto rican homecoming and then um after a couple of years layoff came back to smash ricardo moyorga before losing to ronald winky Wright, very uh, defensive uh, skilled southpaw boxer who really put a bit of a schooling on trinidad from what i can remember it was very repetitive from round one to round 12. And then finally, in a fight that I refused to watch at the time, and I believe to this day I still have never watched, he lost the unanimous decision to Roy Jones Jr. And there you go, in 2008, he rode off into the sunset. And I think he spent all his money, Gabe, in the tens of million dollars. It's quite how he's managed that, I do not know. Um, yeah, that's the that's the thing that's been reported, that, he, that he's gone broke. Um, you know, <laughs> it's funny... Uh, I was thinking about I was thinking about that whenever I was writing, taking taking notes and kind of reflecting while I was watching the fight. And uh, when it got to the end of it, I thought to myself, "There's a guy who is beloved in his home country and by people all over the globe who witnessed him fight and who have you know now at this point gone back." And watched his fights and, and can appreciate that kind of stuff. And uh, the thing that the thing that stood out to me was the uh, uh, the saying by the great Cuban uh, Teofilo Stevenson. He said, "What's the love, Cubans, or however many it was, to a million dollars, or however much it was he was being offered to fight professionally?" And I think that was kind of the same case for trinidad um he had all that money and stuff but i think what really it boiled down to for him was being someone and being the representative excuse me of his country and uh he always seemed like he was fighting for more than just to make money you know and that was one thing that i appreciated over the years and, and still appreciate to this day are, are fighters who for reasons beyond just making a living um it's it's an admirable thing to me uh to have a reason to fight and as far as his career goes it was it was 
a great career. He had a phenomenal career. Um, he beat a lot of top guys, and and he left a mark on the sport of boxing. And I think it's one that um, people who, you know, a hundred years from now, when they go back and look and they say, well, who's some big people in, in the history of, of boxing? I think there's going to be people still that say Felix Trinidad from Puerto Rico because of the things that he was able to do, the way that he fought and the way that he carried himself. You know, the end came swiftly. It came very quickly. You know, he was he was on top of the world. He unified the welterweight titles, um, jumped up to, to 154 pounds, and won a couple straps there. Unified the uh, IBF and WBC or, or a, um, you know, and then very quickly moved up to middleweight, and then it was over, just like a flash. And so I think that's one thing that I've always kind of stood out, to, has always stood out to me about, about, Felix is that he was great while he was there and then he was gone. And, and uh, Bernard Hopkins has that effect on people. It's happened to others. So it's not just Trinidad, but uh, it's, it's a great fight to watch. I can't recommend this one highly enough. And then the, the winky rap fight, you know, was another one. I mean, you can point to a lot of Trinidad fights for a lot of good things. And then you can point to the Bernard Hopkins fight and the winky rap fight as as uh, you know these were trinidad's examples of how you shouldn't fight winky right completely just pulled the whole fight um when that fight happened i was like you got to be kidding me because it was a good two or three years after uh after the hopkins fight i i believe maybe it was a little bit more than that but it was a while so but yeah i mean he was there great and then he was gone in a flash and, um, you know, I still think he probably enjoys quite a bit of, of notoriety in his home country. And uh, he's always someone that I've appreciated. Uh, so that's my last bit. Excellent stuff, Gabe. Final comments to you, Andy. Uh, Hopkins was named 2001 Ring Magazine Fighter of the Year. And then 10 years after that, in 2011, at the age of 46, he became the oldest world champion in boxing history, defeating John Pascal for the WBC and the Ring Light Heavyweight Championships. As for Trinidad, he was inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame in 2014. And whenever he's eligible, Hopkins will surely be following him, Andy. For, yeah, five years, if that'll be four years this December, I think he'll be eligible for the, for the, the ballot, which I do think, I don't think it's up for debate, actually, he will be our first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, probably one of the last, if not the last, old-school fighter uh, with the likes of James Tony, for example, you know, proper, you know, guys who were actually, they didn't have trainers, they had teachers, you know, guys like Bowie Fisher, as I say, you know, he trained Hopkins for like 80, 90, 2002, you know, he was a mainstay of the Philly boxing scene, you know, so I think he even might have returned to Hopkins' corner for the Oscar and the, the Eastman fights and stuff. Again, it was typical, actually, you know, Hopkins was, uh, he was always kind of wives of the money, but, you know, I think uh, Fisher kind of felt he was maybe you know short changing some money, and you know Fisher went on work, work with like Ivan Robinson, Jesse Ferguson, and Hasin Rachman. So it was uh, it was but the Hopkins was was what he was remembered for actually, and um, you know for all the great work that he did with him, you know it took him right up to that trend. I fights, you know I think they they split the first time after the first Tarver uh, first uh, Taylor fight 
But uh, they had a good run together, and uh, so I, I dare say, but wouldn't have had Hopkins if it wasn't for Bowie Fisher. Indeed, so I think Hopkins had promised his mother that he was going to retire for a few years, and she actually died, and he hadn't retired, but he got there in the end. A great career for both guys, a lot of excitement along the way, especially with Trinidad as well. Maybe the guys all appreciate him as much as I do. It's a fantastic fight. Thanks, gentlemen, for an enlightening discussion. Bernard Hopkins defeating Felix Trinidad in 2001. No but doubt we'll be back soon with another Punches from the Past, Season 2, Episode 3. We haven't decided what it will be yet, but it will be coming very soon to you. Thanks to the panel. Gabe Lewis was with me tonight. Dave Lowback and Andy Patterson. I've been Steve Wellings. Thank you for listening. We shall catch up with you very soon. Cheers. Bye. I'd like to find my words so I can eat them. <laughs> oh, what brilliance. Oh, what brilliance. Here's a guy who tonight, just as he has through his whole career, did it his way. He insisted on his individuality, his right to govern his career and his life on his own terms. It's cost him a lot. He got it all back tonight. Well, you know, that was a lot of inspiration in New York City for the United States flag, and he bit into the inspiration. Sports Social Podcast Network.